Let's approach God's word with our confession. Hold up your Bibles. And it's okay if you're drawing your scriptures. I, we, we're in youth ministry. We got iPads. We got iPhones. We, I'm okay with digital Bibles. I like them. So repeat this after me. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for this word. It is the absolute truth. And I believe it. It's your personal love letter to me. And I receive it. It's the answer to my questions and the answer to the world's issues. Lord, today, my ears are ready to hear your word. My heart is ready to receive your word. And I, by faith, am ready to be a doer of the word, no matter what comes my way. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, as we approach your word today, I thank you that you would take the words off the pages and write them on our hearts. I thank you that we're growing in an intimate relationship with you. I thank you that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight today, O oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, and everyone who agreed said... Amen. Uh, over the course of this new year and, and towards the latter half of last year, I was spending a lot of time in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And many of you know you've been schooled. We come to a great church. We come to a word church. The word gospel is good news. And when Jesus said, go and preach the gospel, he was saying, go and proclaim good news. Well, I want to ask you this morning, how good is that news to you? Because the gospel that we receive is the gospel that we're going to preach. And many of us, we understand we have been saved by grace. We recognize that the salvation we've received, the righteousness we have received hasn't been earned. It is a gift of God. But many of us, as we progress in our relationship with God, we tend to add on certain religious ideas. We tend to add on certain laws to our relationship with God, certain traditions. And we think that we can prove our love for God. We think we can prove by works that we're saved and we're righteous. And the problem with that is that we don't just keep it on ourselves, but that is what we then bring to other people. And when people come into the house or when we're sharing with coworkers, we say, okay, yeah, you got to be saved and receive Jesus, but you also got to do this. You know, you, you're a Christian now. You should stop swearing. And I'm not saying you should be swearing, but it's the job of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction and to mold and shape our lives. And we have got to get a hold of this, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Isn't that an interesting comparison and con con contrast there? It's the wages, what we are actually earning in this life is leading up to death. But the gift of God, it's a gift. It's free. It can't be earned. And it's the gift of salvation, the gift of God, freedom. I believe as we study through this word today, God's going to set some people free in, the, in this house. And as you're free, and those chains and that bondage, see, if the enemy couldn't stop you from coming to God, He's going to try to get you wrapped up in legalistic religious bondage while you're serving God. There's no freedom in that. There's no freedom in that. Jesus said, I come that they might have life and life more abundantly. How abundant is the life you're living? Do people want to be a Christian when they look at you? <laughs> you know, this is one of the questions we all have to ask ourselves. Am I really modeling Christ? Because the sinners were drawn to Jesus. Are sinners drawn to me or are they running from me? 
What do they see inside of me? How am I living my life? Am I holding up a legalistic standard by which I'm judging everyone and pointing fingers? Or is there so much love inside of me because I've been loved by the Father that that is what draws people to Him? That's what the world needs to see. Today we're going to look at the gospel message through the eyes of a criminal. Because in our Bible, there was a criminal who preached the gospel. I don't know his name. His name's not recorded in our Bible. But he was a criminal, and he preached the gospel. Can you follow me to the book of Luke? Luke is the third gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke in your New Testament. Luke chapter 23. We'll bring up the scriptures on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But Luke 23, please. And when you get there, go to verse 39. I was teaching in our Wednesday class with the youth group, and I got so fired up, I confused myself, forgot what I was saying. My mom's biggest piece of advice to me is, slow down, Kurt. It'll come. Just slow down. <laughs> Sometimes I get so amped up, I'm like, <laughs> but then nobody receives, so I got to slow down a little bit here. I'm all excited, man. Calm down, Pastor Kurt. We got like an hour together. <laughs> Luke 23. And get to verse 39, and when you get there, just shout at me and say, I got it. You know, Jesus is now being crucified. He is literally laying up on the cross the last moments of his life. Here we read verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him assuredly, amen, so be it. I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Here is a criminal hanging on the cross. This man was on death row. See, the book of Luke doesn't tell us, but Matthew and Mark both tell us that these two guys hanging up next to Jesus, they were thieves and robbers. This man was on death row for his sin. He is now suffering the punishment that he deserves. It's right, it's just. He's receiving that punishment. And as he's hanging up there on the cross, Jesus turns to him and says, today? You'll be with me in paradise? What could this man have possibly done in the last few moments of his life for Jesus to say, today you'll be with me in paradise? He's already dealing, receiving the sentence that he justly reserves. I want to clarify a couple things here because somebody might read this and say, oh, paradise. Oh, that's that position inside Hades, Abraham's bosom, where, you know, it's not really where God is. Jesus was going to go down and preach to those people, and then they were going to be able to go up to heaven. You research this word paradise, it is that place of pure, blissful, perfect communion with God. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the third heaven that he was caught up to. Revelation chapter 2 talks about that paradise with the tree of life in the midst of the garden. That's the same paradise. He wasn't saying, okay, today you're going to go to this holding place. He said, today you shall be with me in paradise. What could this criminal have actually done in the final few moments of his life? What we're about to find out is that this man, although he may have been a career criminal, we don't know. 
I like the way that, how many of you have seen the new Ben-Hur? Who's, I like the way that they portray this character in Ben-Hur because they show him as like a career criminal and he's really upset about the Romans taking over uh, for, for the Jews. And, and I, I got to think about this guy, you know, wow, what, what could he have possibly done? How could Jesus say that? What we're about to see is that this man, although he was hanged, nailed to the cross as a criminal, he died righteous. He died righteous. You say, how is that possible? I'm going to show you. Follow me to a couple of scriptures here. I'd like to take you over to the book of 1 Corinthians, which is in the right. Go to the right. Okay. 1 Corinthians. Chapter 6. And I want to take you down to verse 9 here. And when you get there, just shout at me and say, I got it. And I don't think I gave you guys in the media booth this scripture. That's what happens when you study too much. You get more scriptures. So if you can't follow me, it's okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Now Paul is writing here. And he's, he's saying, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Pause for a moment. I just told you that this criminal who was hanged up on the cross didn't die a criminal. He died a righteous, but a righteous man. But we also read that he was a criminal. And we also discovered in Matthew and Mark that not only was he a criminal, but he was a thief and a robber. So how then could he have entered the kingdom of God? How did Jesus actually say that? We'll keep reading here. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. I think the King James says the effeminate, nor the sodomites, nor thieves. There it is. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now Paul's not creating an exclusive list of groups here. What he's doing is he knows that we're human and we tend to elevate certain sins. We, we tend to put up certain things as like, totally an abomination to God. And there are abominable things to God. But we are living in a dispensation, an undefined time of grace. And so in this dispensation of grace, God is not imputing to us our iniquity and our sin, which means he is not actually charging to our account our sin. And he is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. So in this time of grace, Paul is actually saying, I know that you're elevating these sins in your mind. I know that they are really abominable and really terrible things, especially when you go back to the law. And so he's kind of using that as the benchmark to say, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not an exclusive list of all sins. There's more. But here's the point. Read verse 11. And such were, and such were some of you. Everybody say were. Say it again. And such were some of you. You know, the day that you were born again, you were made righteous and you didn't see it. It happened on the inside. You are not, a, if you're born again in this room, you are not a sinner. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You are born again, righteous man or woman of God. You are not a sinner. And such were some of you. Keep reading. But you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. How could this man all of a sudden in a few moments die a righteous man? We just read that nobody 
who is unrighteous can enter heaven. Therefore, we have to conclude that if Jesus himself, the Son of God, is telling this man he's going to meet him in heaven, he's going to bring him to heaven, then we have to conclude that he died a righteous man. How did that happen? There were no works that he could have done left up there on the cross. He couldn't do anything else. There was no way that he could have earned salvation and righteousness from God. He's suffering the due punishment for his sin. And yet, let's read Romans chapter 10. Go back to the left. A scripture many people are familiar with. He was washed. He was cleansed from his sin in those few moments. He was sanctified. He was set apart for God. He was justified. Totally accepted in God's sight. Romans chapter 10 As I was reading that account, I said, what could this guy have possibly done? What could he have possibly done to be righteous in his death? And we're going to discover Romans chapter 10, rather than going to verse 1, we're going to go down to verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart... One believes unto righteousness. Righteousness. How do you become righteous? How do you become righteous? You believe. What works must you do to be righteous? Simply believe. We can't earn righteousness. You simply believe. It is a free gift. Here we go. Keep reading. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is over all and rich to all and upon all. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's go back to Luke chapter 23 and let's look in four verses, there are four lines, four communication points that this man has with Jesus. And we're going to break this down today and talk about what he actually did. The two things that we're going to see are the two things we just read in Romans 10. The only thing he did to die a righteous man was to believe and to confess. Believe and confess. You say, we get it, Pastor Kurt. We've been coming to Faith Christian Center for a long time. Yeah, but you know what? There have been Christians for a long time who after they believe and after they confess, adopt certain laws, go back to the Old Testament and start applying the laws that God gave when Jesus said, do not think that I came to abolish the law. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And in Jesus' fulfilling of the law, we have been set free from the bondage of trying to keep the law. It is by grace that you have been saved. And that is a gift of God, not of works that any should boast. There is freedom in discovering that you don't have to do anything to receive. You simply believe and receive. Let's go back to chapter 23 and verse 39 here. One of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing as you are under the same condemnation? What's beginning to happen to this man 
is he's beginning to repent in his heart. Repentance is actually an issue of the heart. You know, especially here in southern New England, I didn't grow up in a, in a very legalistic and ritualistic and religious household, but many of you did. Up here in southern New England, we are very religious. I went out on Friday. My buddy said, hey, man, let's go have some food and, and eat lunch together. I said, okay, where are we going to go? He said, we're going to go to the wiener joint, you know, and I'm like, that's awesome, man. I love wieners. We'll go. I'm down. Now, as I, as I get there, the, the wiener joint, it doesn't just sell wieners, especially on Friday because we live in southern New England. So what does it sell? You got it. <laughs> you guys are pure New Englanders. That's awesome. I love when people come up from the South, man. They don't understand us. Or they come up from the West Coast. They just don't get it. But so we're at this wiener joint. And just as I'm entering, uh, you know, it's, it's an older place. So they actually have a door that you can open. You know, not one of the doors that goes like this. And there's this nice woman walking in. And her name was Mary. I, I later discovered and I hold the door for her, and she just smiles. She said, I wasn't sure there was any gentleman left. And I said, well, <laughs> I said, well, I said, God's got a few in training. He's got a few in training. And, uh, and I said, you know, it's not easy on us. There's no doors to open anymore. The doors slide. It's not fair. The, everything's electronic. It's not fair. So I was like, give it, cut us some slack. Give us some grace. So, so we got in. She started talking to me, and my friend is over here waiting for me. And... Uh, She's talking, and I got to know her a little bit. And I said, oh, you know, what are you having today? She said, oh, I came for my egg sandwich. It's Friday. I came for my egg sandwich. And later on, I'm going to come back and have my fish. I love that fish. And I'm like, awesome, awesome. I'm like, I better not tell her I'm having wieners because she's going to be pretty upset with me. <laughs> so my friend and I, we get our wieners, and we go to sit down. And um, guess who's sitting next to us? Mary is now sitting next to us. And I, I, dear God, I hope we don't offend this woman. And as she's there, let me fix this real quick. I'm sorry. This is... As she's there, I, uh, I, she sits down, and I just greeted her, and I said, uh, I said, we're not going to bother you eating this, are you? And she said, oh, no, not at all. And I got to have a great conversation with her, and I got to tell her where I worship, and she told me where she worshiped, and it was awesome. And you know, this woman was sweet, and I believe she has a pure relationship with God. But I think about her life. I think about the course of her life and the course of many lives where people receive the free gift of salvation and then all of a sudden go back to certain laws that were created as a way to prove that, hey, we've got this down. We're, we're righteous in God's sight. Our best attempt is a failure to God. I'm not faulting this woman. I wanted her to be set free because there's a freedom that comes when we let go and just say, I can't do this, but I receive it by grace. And one of the greatest testimonies of that is this man we're looking at who is receiving his death sentence. Don't get stuck 2,000 years ago. Flash forward to today. Don't get hung up on this man's crime. Think about some of the criminals of today. Now, when I was in college, I studied criminal justice. I thought I was going to be a police officer. And justice has always been a big thing to me. I've been big on justice. And so I thought I was going to be a police officer. People meet me today and they say, man, you could have never been a police officer. You're just too nice. And I'm like, that's messed up, man. I know some great, nice police officers. I would have been a great police officer. And uh, I wanted to be a detective. So I studied criminal justice at college. And one of the courses that I took, I took with the dean of the criminal justice class, and she taught a course on serial killers and mass murderers. And so as part of our requirements, we had to take this course. And I'll tell you what, those images and those experiences and those readings, they never, they never leave you. When you read about some of the heinous acts that these men and women committed, 
the most vile crimes. I began to have this disgust and this hurt and this distaste. And when I came out of college, there was one man. Some of these men are actually still alive in the prisons. They have life sentences because they don't live in places where they can uh, be put to death like the man we read about in the Bible. And I began to, I, one day I was listening to a James Dobson focused on the family episode, and he's interviewing one of these serial killers whose life has been transformed by Jesus. And I'm livid. Livid. God, how could you, how could you forgive the sin of that man? Do you know what he did? I did. I knew what he did. I studied him. I was livid, mad that this man could be forgiven. Let's go back to 2,000 years ago. Here's this man hanging up on the cross. Jesus knows everything this man has done. And yet Jesus says to him today, just from this little dialogue, what happened? See, we're big on repentance. We want to see works. We want to see you prove. We want to see, really, what we want to see is we want to pe see people suffer. We want to see people because we believe in justice. If you've committed a heinous crime, you need to suffer the punishment for that crime. And I actually do believe that there are consequences for the things that we do. And even though you can be forgiven and set free and have a home in heaven, you may still have to deal with the consequence here on this earth for the sins that you've committed. Just like the man, he's going to heaven, but he's hanged up there on the cross. But we want to see people suffer. We struggle with this idea of repentance. We think we, we repent, but then we have to continually repent. But what is repentance? Repentance is awareness of your state apart from God. There's three parts to repentance. Awareness of your state apart from God. This man said, why are you, why are you reviling the Son of God? We're suffering what we deserve, but he's a just man. He deserves none of this. He's aware of his state apart from God. The second part of repentance is acknowledgement, acknowledgement of sin. This man hanged up on the cross says we suffer justly for what we have done. Acknowledgement of sin. And the final part of repentance is action, turning to God. On the cross, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, he didn't do anything physically in his actions to earn righteousness or salvation from God. But Jesus was gracious to him and said, despite all of your sin, there's repentance going on. Your heart is turning. As you are becoming aware of your state apart from me, your heart is turning. And as your heart turns, you are turning to me. If this man was to be raised from the dead like Jesus, he would have lived a different life. He would have went and proclaimed all that Jesus did for him. But he died that day. And he didn't die a criminal. He died a righteous man. You know, that's why this gospel is called good news. Jesus said, don't think that I came to call the righteous. I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call the sinners. I came to call the sinners. It is not the well that need a physician. It is the sick. And we need to get this deeply rooted in our hearts so that we understand the freedom we have in Christ so that what we're communicating to people is not religion, is not law, but the freedom that they can have in Christ by simply believing and receiving. 
I was talking to another friend of mine, and he was saying, you know, he was having a discussion with a Catholic priest, and the Catholic priest, you know, my friend was saying, you know, I'm so religious, I'm so religious, and the, and the priest says, what's wrong with religion? And we began to discover that there's a difference in the way that we understand the term religion, because those of us who have been set free from the law, those of us who have been set free, understand that religion is not the same way that, as other people see it. And the, and the priest began to say to him, he said, religion just simply means a binding relationship with God. I said, wow, that's really good. And I have no problem with that. So long as the binding relationship is not dependent upon you. So long as the binding relationship isn't bound to your ability to be faithful. Because the scripture says, though we are faithless, he remains faithful. Even in our times, this is how good the good news is, that even in our times where we are faithless, even when we are not faithful to him, when we sin, when we cheat, when we turn our back, when we spit in his face, when we're mad at him, he is faithful to us. He is faithful to us. And that is the difference. And that is the word that the world needs. That's what they need to hear. I don't care about your sin. I was sitting, I'm not going to say that. All right. True repentance is an issue of the heart. And you know what? Repentance will in its nature have an outworking of acts. I'm not saying that there aren't works. We are saved by grace through faith unto good works, okay? The scripture also says that we are to do the works that are befitting to repentance. There is a work that comes, but it doesn't come out of obligation. It comes out of the fact that I have been set free, and how can I not give? How can I not do? How can I not serve him? It doesn't come. It's not obligatory. It doesn't have that obligation. It comes as a result of love, that relationship. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Many people read that and say, okay, I got to keep his commandments. No, if you love him, abide in me. Abide in me. If I just abide in him, if I just spend time with him, if I just get alone with him, all that is going to come naturally out of my relationship with him. As you raise your children, you don't want your children to just be constantly, yes, dad, yes, mom, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. At some point, you want them to do it because they love you. They just do it because they love you, not because you're forcing them. God is our father. He's our heavenly father. Let's take a look at another account today, another case study today. I want to show you uh, in the book of Luke, I'd like you to go back a couple chapters to the book of Luke chapter 19. There's another interesting account here about a guy named Zacchaeus. And we're going to go to Luke 19, verse 1. We're there. You're there. Just shout out me and say, I got it. Okay. Luke 19, 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. I just love that. It's like, we're going to stick it to this man. You know, not only was a chief tax collector, he was rich. You have to understand the tax collectors back at the time. Oh, well, you just have to understand tax collectors as a whole, I guess. Uh, but back in the day, these, these, I'm sorry, that's just a terrible joke. That's terrible, terrible. Back in the day, these, these, these were Jews that, that they betrayed their own people to work for the Romans. 
Zacchaeus is one of, he's a Jew and he betrayed his own people to work for the Romans. That's terrible. And so I think Luke's like, I'm going to just really show how bad this guy was. He was a tax collector and the dude was rich, which implies that, oh, you're about to see that he didn't get rich on his own. He had a little extortion going on here. Verse three, and he sought to see what G, who Jesus was. He saw, okay, so obviously, like the criminal on the cross, he must have heard of Jesus before he entered. This, this criminal hanging on the cross, just to flashback for a moment, he must have heard about Jesus. He must have heard about Jesus. That's going to be an important point as we study a couple more scriptures in just a few moments. But, but log that in your memory, that this man must have heard about Jesus in order for him to be able to know that he was the Son of God. And he didn't have John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He obviously heard about this great miracle worker. He obviously heard. So let's keep reading in verse 4. So Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked and saw him. And uh, he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste or quickly come, hurry up, for today I must stay at your house. Well, isn't this interesting? I must. You know, Jesus didn't waste any words. He said, I only say what I hear my father saying, and I only do what I see my father doing. I must stay at your house. I must. Stude's a sinner. Okay? Verse 6. So he hurried up and came down, and he received him joyfully. How do we become righteous? We simply believe and? How do we become righteous? We simply believe and receive. Scripture says right here that Zacchaeus received him joyfully. But when he saw it, when they saw it, here's the crowd now, here's the religious people. When they saw it, they complained saying, he is going to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. You see, the religious leaders of Jesus' time, they absolutely hated Jesus. And the reason they hated Jesus was because Jesus came and brought God to people the way that God always wanted to be viewed, and that is Father. Nobody before the time of Jesus would ever equate God as Father, ever equate to God or relate to God as Father. He was Lord. He was Master. He was Ruler. He was God. He was Creator. But Jesus brought him as Father. And a father doesn't care. A good father doesn't care how far down the road you've run, how many mistakes you have made. He still loves you. And Jesus says here, and in verse 8 actually, then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. Okay, all we know right now is Zacchaeus has received him joyfully. But here's what happens in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. If you know your Old Testament law, that is above and beyond what God required. I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him today, today, there's that word again. Today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Zacchaeus is another one of those pondering points. What could this man have possibly done in a few moments for Jesus to say he is saved? He's still standing in the house with Jesus. He hasn't gone out and done what he said he was going to do. He hasn't yet done it. He hasn't yet done the work. He hasn't yet put to his hand to do what he said he was going to do. And yet Jesus said, today salvation has come here. You see, this is critical for us as believers because we've got to be set free because we need to bring this word out to the world. They need to hear this word. 
that God is not charging to their account the sin that they've committed, that they can receive freely the gift of God. Let me show you a, a few more things, and I'll bring this to a close here. I want you to go with me back to the, to the book of Matthew. We're going to go to Matthew, Matthew's gospel. I want you to go to Matthew 22. Actually, we'll do Matthew 20 first. Two parables I want to read to you and kind of wind this thing down here. I have always, always loved Matthew 20. This parable, Matthew 20. And when you get there, just shout out me and say, I got it. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out to the early morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into uh, the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour... He went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. And so he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and what, excuse me, whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when they came, all who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these, la these last men worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat all day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go away. I wish to give to the last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Do you remember how I told you? in that criminal justice class on serial killers and mass murderers, and then later hearing about some who got saved, the Lord brought me to this parable. When you read about the man hanging on the cross in the last few moments of his life, what could he have actually done to earn and receive righteousness and receive salvation? Nothing. Just simply believing and receiving. And God said to me, what is it to you? What, what is it to you? You came to me on your own terms. You came to me on your own terms. I gave you freely forgiveness and salvation and righteousness. Shall I not give the same to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord? Is that not right for him to do? He is both the just and the justifier. He is. See, this is how awesome our God is. This is how amazing he is. The prisons need this. The poorhouses need this. The prostitutes need this. The drug addicts need this. The murderers need this. This is the truth of the gospel. 
that regardless of what your sin has tacked up for you and regardless of what is against you, it can all be wiped away. Your slate can be clean. God can put on you a robe of righteousness that no man can take off. That's powerful stuff. I'm going to wrap up. I have a few more scriptures here, but instead of going to them, I'm just going to leave you with a few final thoughts. We have been saved by grace through faith, and it is a gift of God. We need to make sure that we are not adding law to God's grace. We need to be very careful that we are not adding law to God's grace. It is good to do good. It is good to serve. It is good to come to church. It is good to do all these things, but when they become a religious habit and we do it simply out of trying to prove or earn our way with God, then we've missed it. We do, we act, we serve, we give because of our great love for him. Don't add law to God's grace. And furthermore, don't impose law upon somebody else. Who are we to judge another man's servant? For to his own master, he either rises or falls. We are ambassadors of Christ's love to the nations. Go and preach the good news. Go and preach the good news. Go and preach the good news. It's good news. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time today. I thank you for your word, which you have revealed and made known to us. We humble ourselves right now just to spend a few moments with you and reflect on our own lives. God, we, many of us recognize that it's a free gift. We received you freely. We received you freely. And now many of us have fallen into religious habits. We've, we've fallen into legalistic ideas that if we do certain things that you're going to love us more. But if you loved us while we we were your enemies, if you loved us while we were sinners, how much more do you love us now that we're your kids? God, you love us so much. And, and And we can't earn that. And we can't change that. Even if we choose to die in our sin, you still love us. And yet today you stand at the door of every heart knocking, saying, just let me in. Your life will never be the same. Let me in. Like the man who hanged up on the cross, you too can be saved. You too can be made righteous, not by what you do, but by simply believing and receiving. Father, I thank you for your word, that it would be written on our hearts, that we would follow you, love you, and walk with you in Jesus' name. As we continue to...